As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Hi, come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good, because every year dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them, but with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly, so get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pick up the pieces of your life, put them back together with the words you write, all the beauty and peace and the magic that you'll start to find when you write your story. You've got the words inside, don't you think it's time to let them out and write them down, uncover what it's all about. And write your, write your story, write your, write your story. Hi, and welcome back to the Write Your Story podcast. I'm Allie Fallon. I'm your host. And on today's episode, I want to answer a question that I have been avoiding answering for many, many years. This is a question that I get asked all the time. I get asked this question at least once a week, sometimes many more in my DMs on Instagram, in my email inbox. I get asked this question not as much anymore because I've been a little bit more open with family and friends, but I used to get asked this question in real life from family and friends as well. And sometimes I feel like the question is also kind of lingering under the surface. If someone doesn't directly say it, they're wondering it. And I feel like I'm in a place where I might be finally ready to address the answer to this question. The question goes something like this, some version of, are you still a Christian anymore? Are you a person of faith? Are you a believer? And I've avoided answering this question. I said this on Instagram when I asked if you'd be interested in hearing the evolution of my faith. I said the word trap, that the question has felt like a trap to me. And what I've uncovered is that my idea of it being a trap is that that's just all in my own head. It's all in my mind. It's all in how I perceive the intention behind the question. But I will say that one of the reasons why I've avoided answering this question for so long is because I've been trying to create some space around what has been a really important and sacred process for me. I don't take this experience lightly. I don't take this episode lightly. I don't take my answer to the question lightly. And yet I've had to create this space around the experience for myself so that I could just have the experience without feeling like I was having the experience inside of a fishbowl because a lot has happened in my personal life and a lot of which I've been very public about, but so much has happened for me and so much has evolved and changed for me that I've wanted to be able to really go inward and think about what I believe and how I feel about certain things 
and not constantly be checking that insight or intuition against some teacher who I've given my power to or some follower on Instagram who I've given my power to or some email subscriber who I've given my power to or even a friend who I've given my power to. I think a lot of times in our lives, we give our power away to other people who we think have the answers that we're looking for. And I have really wanted to be in a process of going inward and asking the questions and finding those answers on my own. It's not that I haven't welcomed help when it has come or that I'm closed to the idea of receiving help. It's just that I've really been fine-tuning and cultivating my own ability to listen to that still small voice, to listen to myself, to trust myself and my own tuition, intuition. And this has been a super, super important part of my process that now I feel really excited and really ready to share with you. And I really do hope that I receive feedback from you I don't feel like this question is a trap anymore. And I make the assumption that the intention behind this question is very pure. Probably a lot of you are asking this question because you're wondering if maybe someone else is going through something similar to what you're going through. Maybe you're questioning some of the ideas or beliefs that you were handed from a previous generation. Maybe you're questioning some of the ways that you were raised inside of church culture Maybe you're feeling the very foundation shake underneath of you like I have so many times in the last decade of my life. And maybe you're feeling kind of crazy and you're feeling sort of alone and you would like someone to just validate and affirm that you aren't crazy and that this experience is actually a great awakening and it doesn't have to be only scary, although it can bring up feelings of fear, but this can actually be a great invitation into a deeper, richer more evolved view of humanity, view of the world, view of God, view of yourself, view of all of it than ever existed before. And maybe it might be nice to hear someone else share their perspective and their story so that you don't feel so alone in yours. I'm not so naive as to think that there aren't a handful of people asking this question with the intent to see if I'm still a trustworthy person to be in contact with, if I'm still a trustworthy teacher to follow, if I'm still a trustworthy author to be reading. I say that because I know from my own experience, from the person that I was 10 years ago, that I would have been asking those questions, that I would have been wondering that, that I would have had that intention behind this question. And so there's no judgment there. I will say, if you're looking to know whether I'm in the club or out of the club or in the camp or out of the camp, then the chances are quite high that my answer is not going to be satisfying to you because I'm not going to be able to clearly in black and white terms tell you that I'm in the club. In fact, I'm getting ahead of myself. But the group of people in the scriptures who Jesus Christ most adamantly opposes are the group of people who are trying to figure out if a person is in the club or out of the club I don't see my faith like this anymore. I don't see the dividing line that I used to see that was there. That dividing line in my mind was fake, pretend it was made up by someone else and then handed down to me as a sort of bizarre inheritance. But I don't see those dividing lines the same way that I used to. And so my answer is probably not going to be satisfying to you. And yet I still invite you to sit and listen to my answer and reflect on it for yourself and ask yourself what this brings up for you. What fears does it bring up? What anxieties does it bring up? What 
experiences does it bring up for you? How do you relate to what I'm saying? How do you not relate to what I'm saying? And feel free to share all of that feedback with me as well. It might help if I go back a little bit and give you some context for where I came from, how I grew up, the way that I was raised, because you may be listening to this and think, well, I wouldn't even know to ask this question because I didn't know that this woman at one point in her life professed to be a Christian. You may be new around here and you don't know that in 2013, I published a book with Moody Publishers that is a very conservative Christian publisher out of Chicago. You wouldn't know that The Power of Writing It Down is published with Zondervan, which is technically a Christian publisher, although the book was published under an imprint under Zondervan that is not an explicitly Christian imprint. But even all of that is very confusing. You might not have been around during a time when I was married to a Christian pastor and we planted a church together. So this might all be new information for you. I thought maybe it might be helpful, even for those of you who have been around a long time, to understand the environment in which I was raised. My parents are both professing evangelical Christians. They would say that they're born again. They would say that they're Jesus followers. I grew up going to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, other times of the week for choir practice, for small groups, for youth group, for all of it. So I was fully immersed in that environment as a young person. My parents were also for a large part of my upbringing on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is not called that anymore. I think it's called Crew now. But Campus Crusade for Christ is an evangelical organization that exists on college campuses to bring people together in community and and also with a distinctly evangelical intention to invite people into this relationship with Jesus Christ, to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, and to become a part of the Christian faith. So when I say evangelical, some of you may know exactly what I mean by that. Others of you may not fully understand that, but essentially think of evangelical as evangelizing. I was taught at a very young age to always be speaking clearly about my faith, to always be inviting people into this relationship with Jesus. That is what I mean when I say that evangelical piece. It has to do with always sort of professing that invitation and inviting people to become part of the Christian faith. Now, the evangelical movement, there are a lot of really beautiful, wonderful things I could talk about as it relates to the evangelical movement. And part of my process of evolving my faith has been that I went through a a period of time where I was really angry about how I was raised I felt really frustrated about a bunch of things that took place that I'll talk about in this episode. And I have gotten to a place where I I see a fuller picture. It's not that I've stopped being angry completely or that I or that I'm, you know, rainbow washing things that took place that were not okay. But I also can see that I was raised inside of a really beautiful, loving, lovely container. And that container was full of people who were doing the absolute best that they knew how. They were doing the best that they understood at that time. They were truly wonderful, kind, genuine people, most of them, 99% of them. And the few who were not were very wounded individuals who needed much more support and help, who needed boundaries, who needed to be removed from their positions of power. And there just wasn't the awareness at the time to create that kind of safety. So yes, many things took place inside of that container that were challenging for me and left a mark and that I had to process and work through later. But 
there were also a lot of aspects of the evangelical movement and of the Christian church that I'm very thankful for that created a really solid foundation from which I could grow into the woman that I am today. The evangelical movement is also, especially the evangelical movement of the 80s and 90s, was its own subculture. So if you grew up in that subculture, you would recognize things like, you know, DC Talk and the True Love Waits movement and what would Jesus do and and all of those different aspects of that cultural movement. If you didn't grow up in that, it's almost like you grew up in a different world than those of us who grew up inside of that environment. Like there was a strong dividing line between people who grew up in the other culture of that time and in the evangelical movement of that time. So sometimes I still run into that where I will be having a conversation with someone who didn't grow up inside of that environment. And I still feel a little shocked that I like missed a whole part of life that they had that I didn't have and vice versa. That, you know, my first concert was DC Talk and Jennifer Knapp and and those might mean nothing to someone who who didn't grow up inside of that container. So that has been one challenge that I have faced as I have evolved as a, an adult in this world is feeling like there were certain things that I missed out on that I didn't get to experience because I was part of this smaller container. One experience that I'll share with you that was really formative for me and will give you a sense of some of the ideologies and the way of operating that didn't really work very well, despite the best intentions, maybe didn't create the outcome that the adults in our lives were hoping. I was really involved in my youth group growing up. I would go on Sunday mornings to youth group and then I would go to the service with my parents. I would go on Wednesday nights to youth group. My best friends were actually not at my school. My best friends were a part of my youth group. And, you know, we had a youth pastor who was coordinating all of these experiences that at the time this made perfect sense. He's the authority, he's the grown up, he's the, you know, authority figure in the room and we're all the kids. And so we listened to him. It didn't really hit me until later that this person who was the authority figure in the room was probably 21 years old, maybe, (laughs) maybe not even quite that old. And we were what, 15, 16, 17. So the age disparity between us and just the idea of this person being an authority over us or like a 20 year old being in charge of a room full of teenagers, especially since this person is a male and many of the, the participants in the group are female. It didn't click with me until later that that dynamic was problematic for a handful of reasons. Anyway, inside of that youth group experience, I had a situation when I was 16 or 17 years old where I was pulled aside by the youth pastor with a couple of my girlfriends and it was requested that we not be as physically affectionate with each other as we had been in the past. Now we were 16 year old girls. We were kissing each other on the cheek. We were giving each other piggyback rides. We were, you know, picking each other up. We were laying on top of each other. I don't even know what we were doing. But 16-year-old girls, I would think fairly developmentally appropriate, in my opinion, now as a 40-year-old woman. Well, we were pulled aside. We were asked to please stop this behavior. We were told that this was going to be a bad witness to people who were coming into the youth group. That's at least as I remember it. And a whole thing unfolded that I didn't even have the consciousness or awareness at the time to think about like how messed up this was that this was this was we were being pulled aside by a male authority figure we were told you know that this behavior of ours was problematic it was going to be a bad witness it made us look like we were lesbians when we of course weren't lesbians and there's so many problematic elements to this whole thing that didn't occur to me at the time 
But what I do remember is that it, it blew up into this explosion and eventually myself and these other couple of women, I think there were six of us, five or six of us, were asked to leave the youth group. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Eventually, myself and these other couple of women, I think there were six of us, five or six of us, were asked to leave the youth group. And so I did. I left the youth group and I actually ended up going to another youth group. (laughs) So it wasn't like I left the youth group and was like, that's it, I'm done with church. I left the youth group and went to a different youth group. When I think back on that experience, it was one of the early experiences I had where I started to feel at odds with this container that I was inside of as safe of a container as it was to grow up in, as comforting, as nurturing in many ways of a container as it was. That was one of the first couple of moments where I really started to feel like this is not working for me. Another experience that I can remember very vividly as a teenager is being a part of a youth group service on a Sunday morning. And the pastor at the time was preaching on the doctrine of predestination, which you probably have not heard of that unless you also grew up in church like I did. But the doctrine of predestination is basically this idea that God chooses ahead of time the people who he's going to send to heaven and the people who he's going to send to hell, the vessels of destruction and the vessels of light. Anyway, the pastor was teaching on this idea and I can just very vividly remember sitting in the audience, listening to this sermon and just not liking the way that it fell on my body. I was just like, that doesn't seem 
like a thing that God would do. God as I know who God is, God as my experience of God. I didn't have any more language for it at that time. I didn't have the ability to debate with the youth pastor. It wouldn't have even been invited or allowed. All I knew was that this information was coming at me. It didn't feel good in my body. And I didn't like the way that it sat with me. And I just remember having that feeling as a 16-year-old girl to add to the list that would grow over time of, of my sort of rub with what I was learning inside of this environment. And you'll probably remember this if you were part of that evangelical movement growing up like I was. You'll remember how there were a lot of altar calls, meaning moments, opportunities for you to sort of recommit your life to Christ after making mistakes or recommit your life to Christ after wandering away from him or you know, living outside of his will for your life. And I had so many of those. I mean, I could take you on the journey. It would take hours and it wouldn't really be all that important. But a roller coaster ride through my 20s of, quote unquote, falling away from God and then coming back in this altar call sort of moment and being like, I'm recommitting my life to this movement. I'm recommitting my life to this way of seeing the world. And what I couldn't see at the time is that this was all part of my own wrestling with a worldview that just wasn't really working for me. And if you think of each of those experiences like tiny, small, little earthquakes that were shaking me up, but not so much that anything got really destroyed, but just sort of shaking me up, shaking me awake. It wasn't until later in my life when I was filing for divorce from a man who I had married in large part because he was a pastor of a church and I had been told over and over again in my life that I wanted to look for someone who was a man of God. This is who I wanted to marry, someone who was a man of God. And this person had violated my trust in countless ways, had been a really toxic partner for me, and I fully admit that I had participated in that toxic partnership, but I started to see how that toxic partnership was actually in weird ways celebrated by the environment that I was inside of. It was almost like the model for how a relationship ought to work. There was this expectation of submission from the woman and dominance by the man. And that dynamic playing out in my household was incredibly abusive and toxic. And it was the first time in my life where the earthquake was not a small earthquake anymore. The earthquake was such a massive earthquake that the very foundation that had been underneath of me that I had depended on and relied on for so much of my life, for my entire life, just literally crumbled and fell out from underneath of me. And some of the memories that stick out to me from this time in my life are having conversations with my family members who really love me and care about me so much and were concerned for my well-being and for obviously my emotional and physical well-being also, but were concerned for my spiritual well-being. And we would have these conversations over time about my faith and where I stood. And I can remember having a conversation with my sister where I just told her, if my life had gone the way that your life has gone, I wouldn't have had any reason to question what I believe. But because my life has not gone that way, because I followed the rules and jumped through the hoops and did the things and and worked the program, and because my life fell out from underneath of me, I'm given no other choice but to question literally everything that I've ever been taught. And this was a moment of massive awakening for me. It was very painful. It still is in moments painful. 
to let go of the safe and cozy container that we were raised with. Even if the container isn't Christianity, even if the container is something totally different, it is very unnerving and unsettling to let go of a safe container. And yet, this is also the process of evolution. It's the process of growing up. It's the process of becoming an adult, becoming a grown-up, owning your own life, having your own responsibility, your own sovereignty. This is evolving and growing to let go of that safe container in which we were raised. And one of the things that I've learned is that letting go of the safe container doesn't mean letting go of absolutely everything that I was ever taught. It does for a period of time. But so much of what I learned as a young woman and a young girl has come back around to me and I'm just able to see it in a different light than I was able to see it before. I'm able to see it from a higher level of consciousness. I'm able to take it in in a different kind of a way than I was able to take it in back then because I just didn't have the capacity to do that then. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself because I think what's important to mention is that there was a period of time, a very long period of time, where I needed to, in some ways, completely do away with this container that I had grown up with. And actually, I say needed to. It wasn't a choice. It didn't feel like a choice at the time. It felt like your world has literally been taken out from underneath of your feet. And now the task is to reassemble it in a different kind of way. And I wonder if some of you who are listening might have a similar kind of experience. Maybe for you, it wasn't a divorce, but maybe it was an addiction or maybe it was the loss of someone that you loved, or maybe it was some other event. But oftentimes I think these events come to us, they feel like they completely shatter what we know to be true. But what's actually happening is it's an invitation and it's awakening to a whole new way of being, a whole new way of seeing the world that's actually bigger and broader than what we were able to take in before. So when people ask me this question, are you still a Christian? I don't know exactly how to answer the question because in many ways, if I'm that person 10 years ago, if I rewind who I was 10 years ago and I'm asking that question, what I'm really asking is, do you go to church? Do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to heaven? Do you accept him into your heart? Do you follow him unequivocally? Do you tithe to the church? Do you, I don't know, there were all these like sort of extra things that like I would have tagged along with whatever that meant. And I think that in certain cases, this is what people are asking. And if I laid out for you what my spiritual life looks like right now, to some of you, it might look like, oh, she's not a Christian. She doesn't check these boxes, X, Y, and Z. And so she's not in the club. And to others of you, you might not have that association you might not draw a conclusion about it at all. So when someone asks me this question, I always wonder, like, are you really wondering if I call myself a Christian or are you wondering if you would call me a Christian if you knew what my ideology was, if you knew what I believed or the way that I saw the world, the viewpoint from which I look at everything that happens in life? The way I would answer this question 100% honestly is yes, I do still feel as if I'm a Christian. I feel actually a, probably the best term to describe my faith present day is something like a Christian mystic, like Richard Rohr is a Christian mystic. There are some other teachers out there who would call themselves Christian mystics. Christian mystic, the way that I would define it, I don't know the actual dictionary definition of Christian mystic, but the way that I would define Christian mystic is 
really similar to the faith that I was handed from similar in, in many ways to the faith that I was handed from a previous generation, but with a lot more mysticism involved with just a little bit of a different lens to look at it. And I like to think of my faith as a yes and. It's yes to everything that I was taught and so much more. It's it's like Rob Bell calls this transcend and include. And that feels really, really true for me. It's like, yes, and something else, something bigger, something more, not just this small container that I was handed as a child. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're gonna get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question, it's going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. <laughs> but it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. One thing that I think is really important to point out is that my experience of my faith present day is just as, if not infinitely more, in fact, I would say it's infinitely more rich and true and permeated in every aspect of who I am and the way that I live my life today, present day, than it was 10 years ago when I could have more clearly told you, here are the tenets of my faith Here's the statement of belief that I believe, and I'm going to sign my signature on the bottom of that statement of belief. 10 years ago, I felt like I could really much more easily do that. And now I feel like there are so many more questions than answers. And there's so much that I'm still confused about. And I don't know how all of this works, but it's absolutely fascinating to me. And God is very real to me. The experience of a power that's greater than me that I don't fully understand, but that also exists inside of me 
that I can communicate with on a daily basis, that experience is so real to me, much more real to me now than it ever was back in the days when I had more control over my life and over my faith and over my existence or more perceived control. And one of the things that I think happens when we put a lot of energy into trying to figure out who's in and who's out, and we do this with way more than just faith, by the way, but this definitely, I think, happens around this question when we're trying to figure out like, where does this person fit? Are they Mormon? Are they Christian? Are they Jewish? Are they Hindu? What are you? What what bucket can I put you in so that I can better understand you? What ends up happening is that we actually miss what's true. We miss what's present. We miss what's really going on. And we miss each other. We miss how much we actually share inside of the human experience. And like I mentioned before, you know, the the concept in the scriptures of the Pharisees trying to figure out who's in and who is out based on their actions, based on outer behaviors, based on, you know, outer symbols was very directly criticized by Jesus. And I think one of the reasons why Jesus so vehemently and adamantly criticized this kind of thinking and this kind of behavior is because of what happens when we need to figure out what bucket people fall in. One of the big things that happens, in my opinion, we're trying to figure out who is trustworthy, who's a trustworthy teacher, who's a trustworthy author, who can I rely on, who can I you know, go to to sort of feed me with the information and the wisdom that I need in order to live my life. When that turns us away from the wisdom that is already in us, the wisdom that we directly have access to. And so many of us are outsourcing our power to gurus or, or, you know, religions or organizations or other people that are outside of us. And I think one of the reasons that Jesus cautioned the Pharisees and other people against this sort of categorizing is because it turns us away from our own internal power. And when you turn people away from their own internal power, things start to get really wonky, which is why you see inside of evangelical Christianity, the culture around this, you see lots of the same types of scenarios, situations, people, personalities take place again and again and again. You see, for example, just one example, pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor falling from grace and you know, we blame the person, we blame the pastor. We say like, you know, uh, this was just a bad egg or a bad apple, or he made these bad decisions, or he, he sort of stepped outside of what was acceptable. There may be some truth in that. And also he is making those choices inside of a system that we have all co-signed to where we're making him the God, we're making him the guru. We're putting him on the pedestal. We're putting him on the stage. We're asking him to give us the answers, to give us the wisdom. And no human being was created with the ability to stay in that position forever in congruence with who they actually are. So in my opinion, these people keep falling from grace to show us, stop looking for the wisdom that you're looking for in that other person. Start looking inside of you, start going inward. And maybe this is occurring to me as I'm saying it, but maybe this is one of the reasons why writing has been such an important part of my process and why I'm so adamant to encourage people to use this tool because writing more than any other practice I've experienced in my life will show you the wisdom that is buried in you. 
it will show you how much you can trust yourself. It will show you how much your own personal experience has to teach you. I'm not saying that your story is everything. I'm not saying that you are the end-all be-all or that you're the one who should be on the pedestal or be on the stage. Nobody, in my opinion, should be on the pedestal or on the stage. Part of how we experience God is by experiencing one another and experiencing the stories of one another. And maybe this is why this process of helping people write their story has been so important to me and has been such a pivotal part of my evolution and of my process. A couple more things I want to say before I wrap up. And I know this isn't going in like a clear, linear narrative arc. I'm processing this out loud for you in real time. Not that I've had these conversations with friends and family and with people close to me. So this is not the first time I've had this conversation, but I'm processing this with you in real time. So I appreciate you allowing me to do that. But I just want to add a couple of other things. Number one is one of the big things that's changed for me inside of my faith is I don't have a regular Sunday morning church service ritual part of my life anymore. There are a lot of reasons why I've chosen to step away from that particular expression of my faith. One of which is this idea of putting a person on a pedestal. It's like same person week after week who is preaching to you, teaching you, telling you how you're supposed to view the world, view the Bible, view God, view all of it. And that setup stopped working for me about the time that I went through my divorce. So that is not present in my life anymore. And one thing that I'll say that I've come to really appreciate about the Christian church is what a phenomenal, fantastic job the Christian church has done over centuries of bringing people together in community. It has been the biggest absence in my life inside of this evolution of faith. I don't believe that the absence is forever, and I believe that the absence is intentional. It's part of my growth. It's part of the experience. And I've also had really beautiful community experiences in yoga classes and at retreats and workshops and writing groups and book clubs and all kinds of other dinner dinner with friends, you know, all kinds of other ways that I've had that experience of community. But I have noticed a really, really big absence of community since I've left that ritual of Sunday morning church going and Wednesday night church going. And I just want to say that, like I said, I think this will shift and change. And I think that there will be a group of people whose consciousness is evolving, whose faith is evolving, who find a way to gather and be together. But this is one of the primary ways that we experience God is by gathering together and having these experiences together. So we've got to find ways to do that. I mean, even even inside of COVID and a period of time when it was very hard to gather with people, I think most of us learned through that time how important it is to be together with other people, having an experience with someone else side by side, sharing that experience with other people who understand us, who can witness us, who can see us. And that's an absolutely pivotal part of our process. That group of people may need to be narrowed down for you for a period of time. It may need to look a little different than it has looked in the past, but we have to find a way to stay in community. And I do think that the Christian church does an amazing job of pulling people together in that way. Another thing I'll say that's just been such a sweet gift in the last couple of years with my kids is watching my children have an experience of God without me teaching that to them. There are certain instances where they have a conversation with me and I'll feel like, oh gosh, this is my opportunity to sort of like guide them and teach them and tell them 
how who God is and how this all works. And I, I do have those moments where I feel pulled to do that. And then I try to stop myself or try to just slow myself down and listen to what they're trying to say. My daughter, for example, has gendered God as she, which has just been so deeply healing for me and such a blessing. I've never gendered God to my daughter. I've never called God he or she. In fact, if you asked, if you pinned me down in this moment and asked me to tell you what I think God is, I, I think God is they. I think God is both he and she. And I don't think God is one or the other gender. I think that we have imposed that gender on God. However, because I've grown up in such a strict paradigm of God as he, God as father, it's been so sweet and healing to hear my daughter call God she. And it's this beautiful way that I have allowed myself to let go of the certainty that I've decided I know who God is and to allow myself to enter into this conversation with a child who, you know, Jesus says that the kingdom of God belongs to the children, that they're going to be able to see the kingdom of God in a way that we are not because they're just simply closer to it. The veil is thinner. So it's been such a sweet way for me to get to experience my faith and experience a connection to God through my children. And then finally, the last thing I want to say is that if you're someone who's listening to this and wondering, is she a Christian? Because you're wondering, am I welcome here? Do I belong here? Am I worthy to be here? Is she going to judge me for my life choices? Is she going to, you know, see me in this certain kind of light because I I know enough about what Christians believe or the worldview that Christians have? Then I want you to know that you are absolutely welcome here, regardless of your life experience, regardless of you know, how you define yourself, regardless of whatever bucket you would put yourself in, like welcome all the buckets. Like we're all just here trying to figure this thing out. And I have as much to learn from you as you have to learn from me. If you're here asking the question, is she a Christian? Because you're wanting to know if you can put me on your pedestal to be your teacher. I say this with the most love and the most respect, but I do not want to be on your pedestal. It feels like way too much pressure for me. That is not my role. That There may be some people in the world who feel as if that is their role. It is not my role. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a teacher in that kind of a way. I will share the wisdom that I mine from my life. I will share that with you as it comes to me. But I also really want to invite you and open you to this idea that there is so much wisdom inside of you and inside of your life that you can access through a tool like writing or through something totally different that calls to you like cold plunging or therapy or EMDR or yoga or Tai Chi or something else entirely that I haven't even mentioned. Whatever it is that calls to you, like there are so many ways for you to go inside and find that wisdom for yourself that your life is trying to teach you. Your life is trying to speak to you just like my life is trying to speak to me. And we can all share that wisdom with each other. And I really believe that we, when we enter into that kind of a relationship and that kind of community, when we share our stories with one another, we have a deeper and more meaningful experience of God. And that's what God is. God is that. God is all of us connected together, sharing what it's like to be alive and inside of this body. As for the rest of it, I don't know the answers to most questions that someone would ask me if they were looking to me to be a teacher to them about faith. I don't know the answers to any of those questions. I'm open. I'm learning just like you are. I'm evolving every day. I'm changing maybe what I believe today to be true. 
I might not believe tomorrow. I feel like I'm having less and less opinions about things the older that I get. And I'm really, really grateful to be in that space. It feels lighter. It feels simpler. It feels easier. It feels more connected. It feels more grounded than it felt to be in the old container. And that's nothing against the old container. I couldn't have gotten here without the old container. So I'm grateful for it. I have a ton of gratitude. I have a ton of love. I have so many friends in my life who still are professing evangelical Christians. My family members are all in that place. And I have great relationships with them. Nothing but love and connection with those family members too. And some of my favorite people in the world, some of the most loving, lovely people in the world are professing Christians. And I just want to say, this is my last note, and then I'm going to say goodbye. Whatever tendency that you have to draw a dividing line and say, those people are over here and I'm over here. Those people aren't like me. None of that is real. That dividing line does not exist. It exists in your brain, but it doesn't actually exist. And only you can choose to erase that dividing line and reach out across the line and find the humanity in the person that you think isn't like you, the person that you think you hate. That might be life's work for certain people in our lives. I can tell you one thing, my ex-husband, I have nothing but love for him. I'm on a long journey of forgiveness for the dynamic that we created together and the life that we live together. And I say that just to say, not with any animosity towards him. I say that to say there may be certain people who you need to create some distance from, but distance is different than creating a dividing line where you say, this person isn't like me, they're other from me. So may we all be in community together, may we all share our stories, and may we have a deeper and truer and richer experience of God because of it. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.